Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Warning. This podcast contains adult content. Listener discretion is advised. To infinity and beyond! This is me. This is how I win. Were you rushing or were you dragging? Answer! You're a wizard, Harry. Say what again! Say what again? I dare you. No, I am your father. Hasta la vista, baby. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Hello, everyone. Welcome back inside the film room. I'm Zach Goins here with Jake Lawler. Hello. It's a very special day inside the film room because back by popular demand is the critically acclaimed fan heralded edition of the rewatchables brought to you by our good friends over at the ringer. Jake and I will be breaking down a classic today as we discuss super bad. Thanks for taking him, Seth. No, no problem. I can't imagine what you're going to do without each other next year. Evan told me you didn't get into Dartmouth. You going to miss each other? No, I don't miss each other. Yeah, I'm going to cry myself to sleep every night. Me too. When I'm out partying. Go to school, boys. So, Seth, you're coming to my party tonight, right? Yeah, why? Should I not come? Can you get us booze? Yeah, I can. Oh, that would be awesome. Plus, you know, you scratch our backs, we'll scratch yours. Well, the funny thing about my back is, is that it's located on my cock. So you do want alcohol? You want some sort of alcohol? Tonight is our last party as high school people. You know when you hear girls saying, like, oh, I was so shit-faced last night. I shouldn't have fucked that guy. We could be that mistake. By the time college rolls around, I'll be like the Iron Chef of Pounding Vage. Engage. Now, before we get started, we would like to warn the audience that this podcast will contain explicit content and listener discretion is advised. Yeah, it is, because we're talking super bad. That means dick jokes, ball jokes, sex jokes, lots of cursing, all kinds of 
rowdy behavior and it's not just coming from us it's coming from seth rogan it's coming from michael Sierra. we're we're gonna be uh interspersing all kinds of cut-ups here from from the movie so beware you have been warned absolutely so before we dive into everything let's kind of set the scene 2007 this is like the peak era of the studio comedy before they kind of fell off a bit and people stopped really making these big budget comedies. Not that this is really big budget, but before this is just before everything really blew up, but for, for all of these actors. So what is your, I want to know, what is your relationship like with super bad with this movie? Well, it came out in 2007. So I was um, nine at that point. So there's right. It was right up your alley. Oh my God, are you kidding me? I was ready to fucking go. Um, But (laughs) in reality, absolutely not. I I think my dad would have killed someone if he brought me to see the movie. So I did not see it. I think because I was too young to see it in theaters that I really just missed the bulk of it. Um, I missed it through high school and I really didn't actually sit down and watch it until my freshman year of college. I'd always heard about it being what it was, but I never really just found the time or found the interest in actually checking it out until college. I just had some time and I was like, let's check this movie out. Right. I'm in the same boat as you. I was 11 when it came out. So again, not really the target audience. And again, I think this would have been, if we'd gone to see it, this would have been one that my parents made us leave midway through, not even midway, like the first scene, probably they would have been like, Oh no, this is not for you. Yeah. So, so I saw it junior year of college for the first time, and and I realized that I'd missed out because this was not really a cult classic. It was ma- it was a mainstream classic. Like this is a movie that everyone loves pretty much. If you if you like comedy, if you like coming of age movies, high school party movies, like this is the epitome of that genre. And it was finally it was nice to finally realize it, but it also it was like an incredibly different viewing experience because we were watching this movie after all of its stars had really like blown up and become who they are today. Because obviously for me watching it junior year of college, that's 2018. That's 11 years after the movie had come out. So at the time when Superbad comes out, it's Jonah Hill in his first leading role. It's Michael Cera. It's Emma Stone in her first ever movie. Christopher Mintz-Plassey as uh, Fogel. He, it's his first movie ever. Seth Rogen and Bill Hader, they've kind of been established, but not really to the level that they're at today as like comedic legends. So I'm watching this and I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe that that's the girl from La La Land. I can't believe that's the guy from from Wolf of Wall Street. It's not like the opposite way if you're in 2007 you would never have believed that wow jonah hill the guy who's drawing tons of dicks on everything is gonna be like in a prestige film with leonardo dicaprio directed by martin scorsese like it's it, we're, we're we have the reverse reaction to this that the people who witnessed it in real time did yeah i mean it almost seems like it was uh sort of like a career incubation chamber, you know, it's like <laughs> a lot of these people were just people that they wrapped up 
um, they liked. I'm sure they liked Seth Rogen and Evan Goldsberg's script. By the way, Seth Rogen wrote the film. And they were um, they're like, yeah, we'll do it. This sounds fun. And then, it, you know, who knew that they would lead the lives that they did up until this point? And also, you know, I'm sure that they didn't realize the critical and um, I'm sure they thought the audiences would like it, but I'm sure they didn't realize the critical acclaim that people would have on it as well. Right. When they're sitting down writing this movie at the young age that they were like, they're like, oh, this is going to be so funny. He's going to talk about a porn site. He's going to debate the pros and cons of it. Oh, he's going to draw penises everywhere. They're going to talk about sex. Like. Do you think they were really thinking that uh, critics would love this? Like, it, it does not seem like the movie that would be right up the alley uh, of a critic who's used to, again, analyzing prestige films, Oscar winners, award contenders. Like, this this seems like something by the description of it that it would be like a 30, 40 percent cheap comedy. Like, but instead it's an 88 percent on Rotten Tomatoes with an 87 percent audience score. Like that's, it, it shows the versatility of this, that yes, it has all of those, that crude humor and those jokes, but also it's so much more than that. It has this blend of humor and heart. It's relatable. It's meaningful. Like there, there's so much going on here. And that's why it's a movie that is so beloved by so many and that we're reviewing it 13 years later. Yeah. I mean, the reality is, is that like you said, it has the versatility, it has the balance. And I think that that's really what the critics came to appreciate. I mean, the critic consensus on Rotten Tomato reads, definitely balancing vulgarity and sincerity while placing its protagonist in excessive situations. Superbad is an authentic take on friendship and the overarching, um, overarching awkwardness of the high school experience. And I think that, you know, in reality, when you sit down and look at this film on paper, um, and just kind of superficially gloss over the situate the excessive situations that they're put in and also the excessive reactions that the characters get from being placed in these situations you, you know, like it, it seems hard to believe that that critics would have liked this as much as audiences do but you know the, the mere fact is that it, it is a good film and it did a lot to be successful right I don't think again I don't think when Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg were writing it that they were expecting that kind of critic consensus deftly balancing like that they were probably just like ha this is funny I'm high right now <laughs> like you know like it is not not the they, I'm sure they they appreciate it and love that it's become what it is but I don't know if that was really their intention when they set out yeah no I I, I absolutely agree um but Shit happens, I guess, and shit happens in this life, and shit happens eventually to make this a classic. So before we break down, we get into our categories, we're just going to give you a, a brief summary here of what, what's going on in this movie. With graduation just two weeks away, high school outcast Seth, played by Jonah Hill, and Evan, played by Michael Sarah, are determined to become cool before heading to college. To them, the easiest pathway to popularity is by losing their virginities with their longtime crushes. And in order to do that, they have to supply the alcohol for their first ever high school party. As the duo and their insufferably geeky friend, Fogel, played by Christopher Mintz-Plassey, attempt to secure the booze, their quest forces them into hilarious and dangerous situations, all in the pursuit of girls. So, 
Not as profound of a description as the critic consensus, but, you know, I'm trying my best here. Let's give it but, up for Jack, everybody. Oh, thank you. The the writer and the, the head research head researcher for half-assed internet research, Amazing. which is one of the categories. So we've got a whole, if for those of you who are, have not listened to a rewatchables before, this is inspired and stolen somewhat from the ringer. They do a rewatchable series and we're kind of taking a, an inside the film room spin on that. So we've got some categories that we will break down as we go through. We've got casting what ifs most, and we'll, we'll give more of a description as we, kick off each category but just for a, for a table of contents here we've got casting what ifs most rewatchable scenes what age the best what age the worst half-assed internet research Dion waiters award for the best heat check moment of a role player the joey pants award apex mountain unanswerable questions best quotes and who won the movie so if you can't tell it's a full schedule today we will be Diving into every corner of Superbad. And let's get started. You ready, Jake? Let's get after it. All right. First up, casting what ifs, where we are going to look at who else was rumored to be offered these roles. Who who did they try to get but turned it down? And with our own little twist, how would you recast this movie if it were to be made in 2020? So first up, the writer of the movie... Seth and Evan Goldberg, those those two guys, they were originally intended, Rogan was in, originally intended to play Seth, which makes sense. That's why the characters' names are Seth and Evan. But due to his age and physical size, this was changed. And of course, Jonah Hill went on to portray Seth. And Jonah Hill was cast in a smaller role, despite suggesting he was perfect to play Seth. The, and of course, he eventually did go on to play Seth. But I th how does this change the movie for you, Jake, if Seth Rogen had been the, the lead here instead of Jonah Hill? You know, I think for me, it doesn't change it that much with, they were really similar. I mean, they've always been kind of heralded as being, uh, or joked about as being similar in Hollywood. Um, but just personally, and in the film, I think that their, their roles and their characters are pretty similar as well. So I don't really know how much it would have done to um, change the experience. Right. I, I will say you made that comment about them being the same. One of my favorite jokes of that is the credits of 22 Jump Street, where they're going through 23, 24, 25, whatever, so on and so on through all of the, the sequels. And then there's that one where they just swap Jonah Hill for Seth Rogen and start talking about a contract dispute. So they, they really are interchangeable. But I think the biggest damage that would have been done if it had been Rogen is that he was someone who was already somewhat established. And it may not have been able to jumpstart Jonah Hill's career as this movie ended up doing. So thank God that Jonah Hill was the lead here. And then someone else that probably would have had a much different um, experience and a much different take on the role of Jules uh, played by Emma Stone. Jennifer Lawrence was originally considered for the part. That that just doesn't seem right to me. Like, again, I mean, we talked about it with Emma Stone that for us looking back, we're like, oh, that's the person from La La Land or from, from something more prestigious than Superbad. So, of course, we're having that same vision with Jennifer Lawrence here. But I guess if 
it would have been fine if it was 2007 because nobody knew who Jennifer Lawrence was then, just like Emma Stone. I mean, but like you said, I think her career path would have been incredibly different had this happened because we've got, I mean, she's, she's known for like Hunger Games. That's obviously the big one, X-Men. But like she's got these prestige films. She's got Silver Linings Playbook. She's got American Hustle. Like these are more straightforward than super bad so i don't know it's just strange because she she didn't really get her big break until 2010 2011 and this was 2007 so had this happened i think things would have turned out incredibly different for her yeah i totally agree someone else that was um recast or considered for the role uh so the role of officer michaels who seth rogan eventually ended up playing was offered to kyle gas who was uh, most notable work is uh, comes from the Tenacious D series, and as well as um, Elf. Elf, yes. So yeah, I mean, I'm not. This doesn't really mean much to me. I don't really know much about Kyle Gass, but I will say that uh, Seth Rogen was perfect as Officer Michaels. So I'm glad it turned out the way it did, and uh, with Rogen having been the writer, having been the one that lived through a bunch of these or wasn't lived through scenarios that inspired this. Like, I feel like he had to, had to be in it to give it more of that personal touch. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. But we are not in 20, 2007 anymore. We are in 2020. You are a Hollywood studio executive and the script for Superbad shows up on your doorstep. You pick it up and you're thinking about who would play what, who do you have? Well, you know, I think it's pretty easy for me. I would go Beanie Feldstein as the Jonah Hill character, Caitlin Deaver as the Michael Cera character, because this movie just was recently remade and it was book smart and it was perfect. So for me, that's my recast. Jake, I know you have something a little more, little more out there, a little more creative. Yeah. So when I was thinking about the recast, uh, it just seemed considering that the track record that Finn Wolfhard has had uh, being crazy and like in films like it and um i think that uh, caleb mclaughlin's awkwardness in stranger things um when he plays lucas would be kind of a perfect match for this decade and this reiteration if they were to make super remake super bad so i think that finn wolfhard as seth and uh, caleb mclaughlin as evan would have been something that uh or would be something that would be my recast for sure Right. I mean, I, I kind of had that thought as well. I feel like anything nowadays, it's like, oh, you need kids? Get the Stranger Things kids. Like, we, I think that that could work, though, because we, as much as we shit on Noah Schnapp as Will back in the Stranger Things when review and we talked about him not doing anything, I feel like he could do a, he could do a decent Fogel, get Millie Bobby Brown in there as Jules, just have it a whole Stranger Things re, reunion, you know? Maybe throw in uh, Chief Hopper as one of the officers. Hopper and Winona Ryder. Oh my, we we're on to something. <laughs> um, and we also, also did we we also did kind of get that that reboot version of this, uh, almost like a recasting with Good Boys last year. Like that was obviously a middle school version of this, but it was still same concept and and three friends going on this adventure to try and go to a party. So. I mean, that's another kind of more recent casting of this as well. Yeah, and I guess 
that would have been something that maybe like a, even a little bit more believable. Um, the recast with the Stranger Things kids because the the kids in this like the the kids and super bad look old as shit like all of them jonah hill was like jonah hill was 23 i think when he was playing uh seth i mean everyone just looks so old yeah i feel like looking now like looking back and being older it's like oh wow they really are they don't really look like high schoolers no all right most rewatchable scene Obviously, pretty self-explanatory. We've got some nominees here. We're going to break them down and then decide on which one is the most rewatchable scene. And for me, I think the cop-out answer is just to say the entire movie because this is, it's relatively short. It's under two hours. It's just, you throw it on, watch every scene, hilarious. Like, I, the, I would, it's tough to go on YouTube and watch a single scene of this and not get down the rabbit hole of watching, like, multiple other scenes, you know? Yeah. Um, one of the scenes that definitely is in my mind, uh, in terms of kind of the rewatchability aspect, is uh, really the opener. Yo! Hey, man, I was doing some research for next year, and I think I figured out which website I want to subscribe to. The Vagtastic Voyage. Which one is the Vagtastic Voyage? The Vagtastic Voyage is the one where they find, like, random girls on the street, and they invite them into a van, and then they bang them once they're on the van. It's like 13 bucks a month, and you get access to a bunch of other sites, like one's Latina, one's Asian. Um, you know, there's one for fetishes, like feet and pee-pee and shit and stuff like that. It's disgusting. You're like an animal. I'm... When they're talking about when they're on the phone and uh, Seth, Jonah Hill's character, is talking about which um, porn website he's going to start subscribing to, and he eventually settles on Vagtastic Voyage, which, you know, is, is confusing considering that they're very generous with the, the bundle package. I mean, they, they really kind of remind me of the Disney Plus of porn. I mean, you know, Disney Plus has Marvel and National Geographic and Vagtastic I think Voyage. I think that's the first time anyone's ever said the Disney Plus of porn. Well, you know what? It's Vagtastic Voyage. You got you to give some sort of a claim to it. But I think that that like immediately establishes what kind of movie you're seeing, like right out of the jump. And I think that their chemistry, there being uh, Michael Sarah and Jonah Hill, work really well together in that scene. And that's something that's pretty hilarious. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think again, it really sets sets the tone. You know what you're getting. When I talked about my parents would make me leave this movie, that's when it would happen, which is about six seconds into the movie. If I had seen this back in two thousand seven. <laughs> Absolutely. So another another one nominee here is Seth's flashback to his childhood dick drawing addiction. Hi, Nevin. Here it comes. When I was a little kid, I kind of had this problem. And it's not even that big of a deal. Something like 8% of kids do it, but whatever. It's for some reason, I don't know why, just kind of sit around all day and draw pictures of dicks. What? Draw pictures of dicks. Dicks? Like a man dick? Yeah, like a man dick. This is hilarious. Like, he, he's explaining the reason why he hates Becca, and it's because she busted him on drawing penises in class. That was his obsession. He would just draw thousands of them, and it's it's so strange. Such a such an odd hobby, an odd quirk. 
and oh it's hilarious and we also this goes into half-assed internet research a little bit but evan goldberg's brother actually drew all of the dicks for the movie he drew over a thousand and then of course just a handful were included in the actual movie but that's that's some commitment to the bit right there yeah i mean it's a shame that he hasn't been commissioned by the louvre yet but hopefully that they'll find a place for his art somewhere it's definitely i think i think it could be in the the modern museum of art for sure oh definitely the great versatility and the stylization too yeah absolutely he just needs a gallery um i think something else that is unbelievably funny is just everything with fogel turning into his alter ego mclovin all right how else can we get alcohol yo guys what's up fogel where have you been man you almost gave me a goddamn heart attack let me see it you pussy out or what no no man i got it it's flawless check it hawaii all right that's that's good it's hard to trace i guess wait you changed your name to mclovin mclovin what kind of a stupid name is that, Fogel? What, are you trying to be an Irish R&B singer? Oh, they let you pick any name you want when you get down there. And you landed on McLovin? Yeah, I was between that and Muhammad. Why the fuck would it be between that and Muhammad? Why don't you just pick a common name like a normal person? Muhammad is the most commonly used name on Earth. Read a fucking book for once. Fogel, have you ever actually met anyone named Muhammad? Have you actually ever met anyone named McLovin? No, that's why you picked a dumb fucking name. Fuck you. Give me that. All right. You look like a future pedophile in this picture, number one. Number two, it doesn't even have a first name. It just says McLovin. What? What name? What name? Who are you, Seal? Fogel, this ID says you're 25 years old. Why wouldn't you just put 21, man? Seth, 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 listen up, ass face. Every day, hundreds of kids go into the liquor store with their fake IDs, and every single one says they're 21. How many 21-year-olds do you think there are in this town? It's called fucking strategy, all right? Let's stay calm, okay? Let's not lose our heads. It's, oh. it's, it's a fine ID. It'll, it's gonna work. It's passable, okay? This, this isn't terrible. I mean, it's up to you, Fogel. This guy's either gonna think, here's another kid with a fake ID, or here's McLovin, the 25-year-old Hawaiian organ donor. Okay, so what's it gonna be? I am McLovin. I am McLovin. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the it's kind of two scenes at the beginning, but they go hand in hand to establish his character. First, the intro when he comes into even though he's not in the class he comes into the home ec class to talk with seth and evan we get the iconic gangsters what's up and just kind of realize oh my gosh everyone knows one of these people in real life like this is so it's instantly relatable and then after that after class the fake id reveal like he's he they, they've been banking on him to get this fake id and then just absolutely ripping him once they realize he is McLovin, a 25-year-old organ donor from Hawaii. And it's just this back and forth between glass half full Evan, like, okay, we could maybe salvage this. This could work. And then Seth just tearing into him and roasting him for how ridiculous this is. Yeah, I mean, it, it truly is just unbelievably stupid that, <laughs> that he would name himself McLovin. He's like, but, there's so many so many quotes there like the oh my like who are you seal you have one name like, and then there's like the something about being like a irish rock star or something like that like it's oh, so good yeah the the irish r&b singer yeah, uh, yeah yeah that's it yeah i mean it's just that guy's such a fucking idiot but because <laughs> he's so dumb we are 
we are just kind of fully enveloped in comedy. And I think that that is definitely my, my, uh, my most favorite scene when he's, when he shows uh, Seth and Evan the ID that he got. And he's like, I was, so proud. I was between McLovin and Muhammad. Muhammad? Yeah, Muhammad's actually the most common name in the world. Have you ever read a book? Like, <laughs> it, the, the back and forth there is iconic. And then another incredible scene is when, because of the disaster of the fake ID, they're trying to come up with new ways to get alcohol. And Seth is breaking down all these different outcomes in his head about what could happen. Enjoy your remaining years. I will. Enjoy fucking jewels. I will. And the first one he goes in, uses the ID, the cashier's like, oh yeah, you definitely are 22. Have a nice day. Here you go. Blah, blah, blah. And it works perfectly. And then he reconsiders. The old lady drops her purse. He helps her. And she's like, oh, would you like me to buy you some alcohol? And he's like, oh, yes, of course. And then he's like, have fun living out the rest of your days. And she's like, have fun fucking jewels. He's like, I will. <laughs> and it's just like a perfect scenario again. And then the one that keeps him from actually doing it is that he has this vision of the guard being like, don't do it, kid. And he tries to throw the bottle at him. He ends up knocking out the old lady, possibly killing her, and then gets his throat slit by the guard with a shattered liquor bottle. And... I think that's enough to deter anybody from uh, attempting to steal some alcohol. Yeah, I, I would definitely have to agree with you there. Um, I mean, it's just, it's insane. And I think it just contributes to the sort of uh, crazy atmosphere that the film has already been creating. Um, but it shows, also, it also shows, it shows like the links that they're willing to go through to, to make this happen. Yeah. And I think also it's a little bit, um, sort of grounded in reality i mean because when you're when you're young and you're thinking about breaking the law you're just thinking about everything that could happen and everything that could go wrong and just kind of go in your head and playing different scenarios and it's um, like the everyone can talk the big talk and like say you're gonna do stuff and then oftentimes when you're when you're that age or you're young like you don't actually follow through with it because you're yeah you'll talk about it but you won't do it because it's actually scary and you like you said think about everything that could go wrong yeah and then something that we think of uh, something that we think will go totally wrong and ends up being one of the craziest nights ever is everything with um fogel's alter ego mclovin and when he meets bill Hader and seth rogan as the cops and just that whole that whole storyline is definitely I think the strongest part of the film. Right. Anything Seth Rogen and Bill Hader are incredible here. And then even more so when you add McLovin into the mix, like that trio is just incredibly dynamic the way they go back and forth. And just the, the sheer stupidity of them as police officers and then throwing in Fogel's awkwardness, like they, they play off each other so well. So we got that scene the, the first real one where it really starts to develop is when they go to arrest the guy at the bar. So not, not only the arrest, like the action sequence where Fogel takes him down on accident, of course, but then also like sitting at the bar afterwards, hearing these stories be told. And, uh, are there any ladies we'd like to show this tape? To? You don't want to be a chick in a bar, man, seriously. That was a major turning point in my life is when I realized that you got to go to other places. You got to go to a spin class, a farmer's market, pumpkin patch, 
given the time of year. Just somewhere social, non-threatening, you know, something like that. Yeah, I met the missus at paintball. Yeah, shot her in the neck, and we just, and we just hit it off, you know. My yeah. first wife, who is a whore, mm -hmm. by the way, where do you think I met her? A bar. A bar. Was this bar? Was this bar? Bogle's trying to act like he's 25 and some sex god saying, oh, it's not about the going with the ladies for me. It's about the coming, like anything. And then he's he's almost smarter than them where they're like having to play catch up and be like, wait, what did he mean? Oh, that's so funny. Ha ha ha. Like it's, it's anything with them is just pure comedy gold. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, even when speaking of that when the storylines get joined after seth and evan escape the clutches of the college party and start running and while they're getting into a fight uh, uh mclovin's cop friends run over uh seth and then they start freaking the fuck out enough to the point where they actually are going to think about arresting <laughs> the kids that they just hit spread your shit Get on the ground. Loaded gun. Ready to go. Spread your shit. Pussies on the pavement, fellas. Come on. Please don't shoot, sir. But please don't shoot. Just shut up and spread your shit. I am the law. Okay? Now hold hands. Yeah, it's it's so funny because they're both like, you do it. You go check on him. You go check, like, shatters the windshield. And then eventually Bill Hader goes out there and starts just absolutely like ridiculing them get on the he draws his gun get on the ground get on the ground pussies on the pavement spread them spread your shit makes them hold hands do like all types of nonsense and they're like scared for their lives and then fogle gets out of the car in slow motion like flicks the cigarette and then it's like this moment of realization oh my god what is happening here and then on top of that like then Evan just gets up and books it, starts running away, and you get the Seth Rogen chase scene. Oh my god, he's the fastest kid alive. <laughs> it's it's iconic. Yeah, I mean, it truly is special. Uh, and something that's also insane is when McLovin is about to start hooking up with the girl that he's been after for the majority of the film. It's 10.33. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and his uh, friends Bill Hader and Seth Rogen bust into the, bust in the door and ruin the night for him. Whoa! Ah! Holy shit! Were you just getting laid? No. Yeah, I was. But yes, oh, yes, he was. So what you think, guys? I'm not even. Sit the fuck down. Okay. Stay that ass down. Whoa, 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 down. Down. Calm okay. down. I thought we were friends, and then you go running away from me. Contain yourself. We're friends. Shut up. Calm Why? Down. Calm down, man. What? You just cock blocked McLovin. Okay, he's our friend. We don't do that. We should be guiding his cock, not blocking it. Just relax, okay? Let's make this right. So in order to pay him back, they decide to stage a fake arrest. It's it's hilarious. They drag him out, and he's like, you'll never get me alive, and like yells at his girl, like, wait for me on the outside. It's it's hilarious. And like even more, before they even arrest him, like, they have that realization of like, oh man, we just cock blocked McLovin. And then they sit down and start hugging him while he's like naked under the sheets. And they're like having this sentimental moment. He's like, I really missed you guys. It had been like 30 minutes <laughs> since he last saw them. 
it's so funny like again just anything with them together is perfect yeah no absolutely in, in my mind it's definitely where the funniest sections of the film come about and even when um at the very end when they start doing donuts in the parking lot and decide to set the uh set the squad car on fire to escape something i don't, I don't know what that will actually do for them <laughs> yeah you sign this like nda that that's gonna be that you say a crackhead stole the car <laughs> yeah i'd say another this might be an underrated scene but for me uh, i'm sappy so i i loved it but it's like the very end it, it's the closing scene like the awkward mall meetup between between the crew at least you don't have a black eye from it <laughs> that looks terrible yeah you look great you don't look terrible it's just like a bad bruise everything's great just from this just like right there your eye yeah your eye everything else <laughs> is great so you've got seth and evan going to the mall and then they run into Jules and Becca after the party. This is like, this is after everything that went down. Becca or Jules shows up with a black eye because Seth accidentally hit her in the face. And then Becca has to buy Jules a new comforter because she threw up on it and, and they all meet up. And then it's like not being drunk that, that, that like, Oh, we actually do like each other. We're going to go on this kind of double date and split off in our separate ways. And I think that's just, again talking about the the humor and also the heart like that's what elevates this movie from from just being a, a raunchy comedy to being something that people can relate to because you all like everyone remembers their awkward encounters with their crushes back in middle school or high school whatever it was like having that kind of uncertainty and trying to be cool but ending up just being incredibly awkward like that's that's again something that everyone can relate to and that's why this movie has kind of just aged so well and that people can can appreciate it no matter what age you are. Yeah, for sure. And I think that the reason why we're even doing a rewatchables, I mean, the reason why um, people voted for us to do is because this movie still holds up. And just in terms of going into the next category, what age the best, I think that we're both in agreement that the movie as a whole really holds up most um, really well for the most part. And I think that that really has a lot to be said about the the choice that they made not to cement it in pop culture references that would soon become outdated years after the release, not to cement it in a plot that wouldn't make sense years from now, but to do it in something that's a generational problem and a generational um, awkward situation is that dealing with leaving your friends, dealing with um, understanding who you are, how you fit into this world, and who is going to like you enough to stay with you. Right. Like I, I mentioned good boys earlier. That's a movie that deals with similar themes of like friend breakup and trying to fit in at a party, be cool. But the main thing around that surrounds a drone and like 10 years from now, people are going to look back and remember like, Oh yeah. Like drones were a thing for this period of time. Like I feel like that's not going to be like uh, a, an undateable thing like people will remember when drones were popular but like with this like sure they use technology there's like flip phones and playstation 2s whatever but there's not like a, they're not a focal point of the plot where it's like okay i will specifically remember 
what date and time this movie takes place and that'll keep me from enjoying it 10 years down the way but like you said like it deals with more overarching themes that can be applicable whenever you watch it whenever you make a movie like this like no matter what time period it is this is something that people are going to be able to relate to and appreciate yeah and you know i think that that's really what what the film kind of boils down to and really why like i said earlier why we're doing this in the first place now most of this film does hold up but there are some things that not did not age as well as um some others right i would say again the key word is that most of it aged well but a lot of not a lot some of the language aged poorly like they there are a lot of slurs in this movie f words r words like just different homophobic terms that are thrown around that it's really like a product of the era that it was made in like that that late 2000s period is before people became like more conscientious more aware of what they were saying and how harmful that can be but i think that you watch a seth rogan movie now an apatow movie now and the same things aren't being said they as people became more aware of that they adjusted accordingly and if this movie were to be made today those things wouldn't be an issue they wouldn't speak the same way or or use derogatory terms like that and i mean like we saw with booksmart like they they did that and it was much more inclusive and and able to still be equally if not more hilarious without being offensive yeah you know, I, and I think that that really has a lot to do with the time period of the film and the genre that it finds itself in. I think that, you know, this coming out in 2007, uh, a lot of people weren't really as cognizant as the, the damage that some of those words and the um, some of that language can do onto people that identify or that are a part of those certain communities. And I think and it's, of- it's not... It's not something that's strictly relates to super bad. Like that's something that absolutely it's whether whether you're watching The Office, like there are things in that show that are like, oh wow, this would never get made today. Like different words that they say or topics that they handle. Same thing with like the hangover, like paging Dr. Blank. Like you don't that that would not have made the cut in, in a movie that was made in 2019, 2020. Yeah, and I, you know, also I think that that just really has to do with the genre that those those films, even Superbad, finds itself in, which is comedy. And you know, for decades and decades and generations, comedy has always been a place where it lives and thrives and survives in the gray area. And um, you know, I think that we as a society and comedians have grown since then. But it is it is one of those things that you know it's it's difficult to see a line because seldom is there one drawn. I would say another problematic part of this movie is that the goal, the main goal is, I mean, yes, it's to become popular, to get alcohol, to go party, but the way that they're going about that, they want to lose their virginities by getting girls drunk enough to sleep with them. Like they talk about like, oh, don't you want to get her to wake up and be like, I shouldn't have slept with that guy. We could be that mistake. Like that's, that's problematic. And we've seen other movies where that is tweaked to be not as like sexual assaulty, you know, like not as, not as problematic there that 
oh, it's just about hooking up, not about wanting to get them drunk so they'll make a mistake, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's really just another one of those things that you, you kind of have to, to reckon with as the years go by. Um, and, you know, that's just really part of it. Another thing, well, I guess completely unrelated to all of that, is Zach, the bookworm, the research guy, the legend. That's me. Take us on a trip down memory lane with his half-assed internet research. I dare say this internet research is whole ass because I've got quite a bit to uh, to share here. And Jake, feel free to, to hop in and share some of these bullet points as well. But first off, these are just fun facts, interesting info that we found out about the film without trying too hard. So this movie was written by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, as we said. And the more impressive thing, though, is that the script began development when they were 13 years old. So obviously not all of this took place at that time because it from it didn't get made until 2007. But it was loosely based on their experiences senior year of high school back during the 90s. So, I mean, they may have started when they were 13, but some of the stuff that went down, like I read that the period on the, the pants thing, that happened to one of their friends at senior prom or something like some some dance in high school, like. So a lot of it was was inspired by scenarios that they were actually placed in during their high school days. And I think it's so funny that they started writing this because, quote, we just wanted to see if we could write a movie and then look at what it turned out to be. Yeah, I mean, what a saga it's been, especially because it started, um, they started when they were 13 to make it into this. And I love the quote that they have where it says that, uh, we just wanted to see if we could write a movie and eventually they did. Exactly. We, we should have, we should have done that back when we were 13. Yeah. <laughs> it's never too late. Never too late. Yeah. So this, this, I think this is my favorite piece of half-assed internet research that uh, Christopher Mintz Plassey, who is the, again, the actor who played Fogel, AKA McLovin, he was 17 years old when Superbad was filming. And as a result, that meant that his mother was required to be present during his sex scene. Oh, yikes. Got mama on set while he's between the sheets. <laughs> oh, my. He did say, I did read, he said that it made it less awkward when the movie came out because she had already been there to see everything that was going to happen. It's not like some some surprise that, that came along later. For so sure. I guess that again, glass half full. Yeah. And um, speaking of glasses half full, when this film had a $20 million budget and it grossed a total of $169.9 million worldwide. And the number seems completely fitting considering the nice um, this film. Um, so it earned a huge financial profit, so much so that it made it the highest domestic grossing high school comedy at the time. Uh, it was eventually surpassed by 21 Drum Street, a film which also starred John Hill in 2012. And there's actually a reference in Superbad to, um, to Jump Street when Fogel or McLovin goes in to um, buy the alcohol for the party. Uh, John Hill says, this thing's been fucked since Jump Street. So a little bit of he, foreshadowing going on there. He already knew. He knew right away. 
Next up, this is okay. I said the last one was my favorite. I think this one is so the pivotal penis drawings that we talked about in that flashback sequence were a major point of contention with the Motion Picture Association of America that is responsible for assigning ratings to movies. So particularly the scene where young Becca has to pick up the the sheet of paper with a penis drawn on it. And Judd Apatow, who produced the movie, said that it was the subject of much legal wrangling, including how erect the penises could be, if veins could be shown, all sorts of stuff like that. But what they ended up doing was that the actress who played young Becca picked up a piece of paper with a different drawing on it. And then when they cut to show the drawing, it's actually a woman with very tiny hands who is holding the drawing. So they kept her from having to witness that that big veiny penis. <laughs> Which is like literally unbelievable that you found that. So congratulations. Thank this you. Is, I think this is whole I think, research for sure. Oh, for sure. Both cheeks. But <laughs> I think I think that that's the most like super bad fact ever. Oh, ever. Um, and then our last tidbit, according to the DVD commentary, the night that Evan Michael Sarah describes to Becca early in the movies is beat by beat when Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg, and their friend Sam Fogel did it when they were in high school. So that's when he's talking about like, oh, we went to, we we hung out at an adult party, you know, got to be around intellectuals. Then we went to a a, a nightclub, and it shows them like getting thrown out of a strip club, like that was beat by beat what they did one specific night when they were in high school. Which is just, and I love that their friend's name is Sam Fogel. Shout out Fogel. He's real too. He's real. Everything is real. So next up on our list of categories for this episode of the Rewatchables, we have the Dion Waiters Award for the best heat check moment of a role player. For those that don't know, Dion Waiters is an NBA player who's convinced he's always the best on the court, despite at one point playing on a team with LeBron and Kyrie. Yikes. Tough look. Tough look. Tough look. In this case, a heat check would be one of the supporting actors really ratcheting it up to try to one-up the league. So we have a few few different uh, contenders for this prize. First up, we have... um, Michael Sarah's cooking partner during the uh, right. class. I think I think it's I don't think he's a, a serious contender here, but I just had to give him a shout out because it's so funny when Seth is paired up with Jules and he's like pretending to like fondle her and whatever, like licking her, and then it's <laughs> you flash over and and then it's Evan and his partner and they're just like He's making whiskers on him and flour and like they're tying each other's aprons. I, I like crack up at that. I don't know why. I think Maroki is his name. Roger Iwami. But Legend. it's it's wow. His IMDB picture is him smiling with the the whiskers drawn in flour on his face. Oh, that makes perfect sense. But glad to see he, he definitely peaked in this movie. Next up, we have a surprise cameo. I was definitely surprised because I remember going back and rewatching this. I didn't know that he was in this film. Um, Greg, who is one of the soccer players during the physical education, and he's played by Dave Franco. Right? Like, 
Dave Franco, I guess because we know that Jonah Hill and and Seth Rogen have been friends for a long time. So I guess it was just like a, oh yeah, we'll throw your brother in this because it was before Dave was really big or anything. So it, it like, and he wasn't, that's literally the only scene he's in. And like he's like, yeah. get, he's yelling, he's yelling at Seth for being on the soccer field. And he's like, hey, Greg, why don't, why don't you go piss your pants? And he's like, that was like eight years ago, asshole. So it's like, people don't forget. Yeah, I mean, I was just like, <laughs> like, calm down. He's like, he's like, calm down, Greg. It's soccer. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I think that you and I both have our number one as this guy, uh, Joe Lotruglio, who is Francis the driver, the party guy. The first car, or the first uh, car that uh, Seth gets hit by, is driven by Francis the driver, and in order to not get arrested for a warrant that he has for a nonviolent crime, which never gets answered on what exactly what he did. <laughs> Unanswerable um, questions. Exactly. He's driven to a college party to find the find the alcohol. And also guy, the fact also the fact that he tries to pay them off with seven dollars. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like he's like, what is it, seven dollars? What are you six years old? <laughs> And um, he's he's actually he's actually quite good in Brooklyn Nine Nine. Mm-hmm. Um, I was but, I was thinking about putting him up for Joey Pants, but then I realized that he was in Brooklyn Nine Nine. So that's yeah. probably what more people know him from. But um, he is just unbelievably crazy in this film. And he goes, he's like, "Oh yeah, I know everybody at this party. It's going to be a good time." And then he shows up, and he's like, gets thrown out and beat up. Like <laughs> it's. <laughs> he's he's for pound for pound for the little screen time he gets like i would say he's definitely the winner Dion waiters in the flesh oh absolutely and then we have our joey pants award named after joe pantoliano who i just saw in bad boys for life go see in theaters um this award is given to the character who you know as that guy from super bad and i think this one's obvious yeah this is unequivocally Fogel, Christopher Mintz-Plassey, McLovin, the 25-year-old organ donor, Irish R&B singer from um, Hawaii. He, not question, it's him. Like, he's been in Kick-Ass. He was in, he had a small role in the Neighbors, the two Neighbors movies. But, like, this is really it. This is, like, this is his iconic role. This is what he's known for. If you ever see him in it, like this is something that he can't outact. Like no matter what he does, if he goes on to win three Oscars for dramatic films, he will still be known as Fogel. Like he's he's McLovin. This yeah. this may be one of the most clear cut definitions of a Joey Pants award. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it's him. It is him, and rightfully earned. He, he, he definitely earned that title, and uh, I am thankful for his performance. Absolutely. So we also have next category. Wow, we're breezing through these things. We've got Apex Mountain, where we break down who or what reached its peak during Superbad. And I think right off the bat, we have to say it's Mr. Joey Pants. It's Christopher Mintz-Plassey, Fogel, mm-hmm. McLovin. Like, this was... Again, even if he goes on to win Oscars, 
this was his peak. This is it was his start, both his start and his peak. Yeah, and this is definitely a good a good place to start at. Something that also something that uh, we also feel maybe reached its peak is the Apatow comedy. Like I so so he didn't direct this one, he just produced it. But like when you look at the track record of the movies that he produces, you've got this stretch from 04 to 08 where you get Anchorman, 40-year-old virgin, Talladega Nights, knocked up, super bad. Then that super bad was 07. And then in 08, you get Forgetting Sarah Marshall and Step Brothers. So both of those, both of those are incredible movies, extremely hilarious. And I would say that is those are also on the apex with Superbad. But after that that run, like it kind of starts to go downhill. I mean, you've got Bridesmaids in 11. You've got Anchorman in 13. Trainwreck, or Anchorman 2, sorry. Trainwreck in 15. Popstar in 16. Big Sick in 17. So, I mean, out of those, Bridesmaids, Popstar, Big Sick are all very good. But it's just not, they're not churning them out as much and as successfully as they did in that mid-2000s run. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that something that also had a mid-2000s run was the uh, High School Party movie. I mean, this was really um, in a long line. I mean, because, you know, Animal House was big back in the day, even though that was a college film. It was sort of like in the same vein. And then, of course, all the... uh, um, American Pie movies. American Pie movies as well. But you had the- this, you had Project X. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I would agree with it. I think it peaked and then it went down into a valley. And now it's back with Booksmart, baby. I'll always plug Booksmart. The yeah. Apex, there, there's a new Apex in town. <laughs> there is a new Apex in town, and it is directed by Olivia Wilde. I think that we have a few unanswerable questions up next, basically self-explanatory. Any questions that the movie never fully answered? So first off, I mean, not that we would really expect it, but I I just want to know how did the, the Fogel and Evan living situation turn out at Dartmouth? Like we knew that uh, the, the secret was that they're going to live together. I mean, they, they definitely get along better than, Seth and Fogel, but did it did it work? Was it was it good once Seth was out of the picture? How what do you think? My guess is that they moved. They uh, separated after freshman year. Yeah, they got new they they met new friends and moved. I think Fogel still wanted it, but then Evan was like I got to get out of here. Yeah, absolutely. I think that another one um another unanswerable question for me is that whatever happened to Bill Hader? And Seth Rogen's jobs. Oh yeah, did they did they get busted for the the car? Yeah, I mean, you know, considering that they're they're banking on the the testimony of the twenty five year old um, Irish R and B singer. Uh, they they definitely got whether it was that that brought them down or something else. They definitely got busted for for something. The way that they were performing their jobs, it was bound to happen. <laughs> Yeah, my guess is that they have never been formally employed um, since then. Another one that we kind of already hinted at was what exactly did Francis the driver, what crime did he commit? He said it was nonviolent, but there's a warrant out for his arrest and he's been hiding. 
I have no idea. This could be literally anything. He is he's a wild card. I'm thinking I'm thinking that it's some sort of credit fraud. That's why he only has seven dollars. Yeah, exactly. I, I I really think that that's what it is. Or maybe maybe it's some sort of impersonation deal. Because I could, he, he was impersonating a, a guy that was popular. That's true. I could see it. All right. This is this is the, the apex mountain of this episode because we're about to get into some best quotes. And boy, do we have a lot of nominees. <laughs> Again, viewer discretion, listener discretion is advised because these are graphic. Absolutely. So starting things off, back at one of your favorite scenes, Jake, the opener, I thought this was absolutely hilarious. But this shows the, the practicality of Evan as a character when they're talk, discussing what porn sites to subscribe to. If I'm paying top dollar, I want a little production value. Editing, transitions, music. <laughs> like that's the that's the epitome of his character compared to Jonah Hill, who just wants the bundle. Well, I love uh, I love Jonah Hill's replies that he said, I'm sorry that the Cullen brothers don't make porn. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hard to reach. And so then funny. next up on ours is that so when Jules is talking about <laughs> getting the alcohol um or when uh seth tells her that he can get the alcohol because he's got a fake id jules says you scratch our back we'll scratch yours and seth (laughs) says well jules the funny thing about my back is that it's located on my cock (laughs) the the delivery of that is so perfect and then like her reaction and his just like oh why did i say that like (laughs) it's so good yeah, I mean, that's just ridiculous. Another great one from Seth. <laughs> By the time college rolls around, I'll be like the iron chef of pounding vag. Like, I don't know. I think it's just the fact that he compared this to iron chef, like out of all of the possible, like he, it's not like he made some sports reference or like anything like that, but like iron chef, <laughs> what? Yeah. And it's also funny that he did it in, um, he did it in a, a Scottish accent too. And I was just like, what the fuck is this? Another one, of course, we we would be remiss if we uh changed or didn't mention Fogel in this. But he when he goes into the home ed class, we've already said it, but he says, Gangsta, what's up, guys? And As he's is, like making gang worst. symbols with his hands. Yeah. <laughs> it's unbelievably the worst thing I've ever seen. This this is like more of a scene than just a quote. It's an exchange of quotes, but we won't go through it all. But just the whole McLovin reveal, like the wait, you changed your name to McLovin, and then the reactions, like what kind of a stupid name is that, Fogel? What are you trying to be, an Irish R and B singer? And then he explains that they no, they let you pick your name, and they're like, and so you picked McLovin. Yeah, it was between that or Muhammad. <laughs> then the whole the whole like Muhammad's the most commonly name, used name on earth. It's just that exchange, that scene. I'm sure we'll have it, we'll have it spliced in here for your listening pleasure. But it's again, that's why it was our most rewatchable scene. I think it's probably going to be the most, the the best quote as well. So, yeah, just an absolutely sure. the epitome of super bad. I think that another easily best quote contention is when Seth threatens to cut his face off and uh, 
cut Fogel's face off and wear it as a mask to go buy the um, the liquor when uh, when Fogel's having second <laughs> second thoughts. Fogel replies with, "You don't have the technology or the steady hand to pull off a procedure like that." So, ha! <laughs> it's such a nerdy response. I love it. Yeah, and I think that that really reminds me of uh, that scene from the other guys when Mark Wahlberg is like the tuna, the tuna yeah, and the lion, the tuna. That's yeah, I definitely that's a, a a strong comparison right there. For sure. Another solid one is that uh, when when they're talking about the girl in their class who got breasts, who had the the giant boobs. So yeah. we get this exchange between Seth and Evan. And uh, Evan says, I heard she got breast reduction surgery. And Seth goes, what? That's like slapping God across the face for giving you a beautiful gift. And again, the practical Evan is like, she had back problems, man. So, <laughs> so understanding. Yeah, no, he's, he's honestly great. Um, another one that I had is that when uh, Fogel is riding in the backseat of the cop car with uh, Bill Hader and Seth Rogen's characters, and they're imitating Yoda, uh, not Yoda. <laughs> they're imitating Yoda. And um, he looks back, uh, Bill Hader looks back at uh, Fogel and says, you know Yoda, like from Attack of the Clones? <laughs> <laughs> Which is just <laughs> hilarious. My Speaking of the, the cops, this is one of my favorites from Hader. They're at the bar. He's explaining his love life. It's saying that you don't want to meet girls at the bar. You want to meet them somewhere else. And he goes, I met the missus at paintball. Shot her in the neck. We just hit it off from there. And then, <laughs> and then he goes on to describe that on our wedding night, we had group sex. I wasn't involved in it, but I could hear it through the wall. <laughs> and then Officer Michael says, I was involved in it. Oh, my God. Which is I forgot. Even worse. And then to cap it all off, doing probably the most awkward sex scene of all time. Uh, Becca says, I'm so wet right now to Evan, Michael Sarah. <laughs> and Evan says, yeah, they said that would happen in health class. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It, there, there's so many, we're going to have to splice all these scenes in there so that everybody, we, everybody listening doesn't just think we're laughing for no reason and they can appreciate it as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, after all of this review, this brings us to the final category. Who won this movie? I mean, I think there's a a couple valid candidates. You can talk Fogel. You could talk the Bill Hader-Seth Rogen combo. I know that's one of your favorites. But for me, I'm saying Jonah Hill. Because he is the star of this movie. And he... This movie jump-started him into what he has become today. One of the top comedic actors, one of just a, a solid actor in general, as we've seen him in stuff like Moneyball, Wolf of Wall Street, the TV series Maniac, directing mid-90s. Like This is where it all started for him. And without this, if Seth Rogen had played this character, I just don't know if we would have gotten the Jonah Hill that uh, we ended up with today. Yeah, I mean, it's it's truly spectacular to see that because, I mean, I, I agree that uh, that Jonah Hill won the movie and he, he definitely won the 
one out of all the careers kind of going forward i mean just kind of all the things that you named i don't know emma stone has a emma stone has an oscar yeah no i would definitely i would definitely say with that but i you know i think that and there's definitely a lot of good contenders but i think that just with jonah hill and the versatility that and the things that he's been able to accomplish i mean because uh you know emma stone has done a lot of credible things with acting um but just jonah hill understanding and really kind of shifting his persona as well and i think that it's an extremely difficult thing to be someone other than the fat funny guy in hollywood and the fact that jonah hill's been able to kind of since uh, in his years and in his career shake that a little bit especially with the fact that he's becoming a director a director of um you know debut film which i thought was um very well done is something there's something definitely to be said about that Right. He's been able to to break out of that stereotype that, like you said, is so hard to escape from sometimes. But it's, it's this is this is his movie. He is the star of it. And obviously it propelled him to extraordinary stuff moving forward. So that's that's super bad, man. That was that was fun. Yeah, that was good. And we hope that you guys enjoyed this as well. As always, thank you all for listening. Like Jake said, we hope you enjoyed this look back at Superbad as much as we did because we had a blast. And feel free to let us know what classics you want us to break down the next time we do a Rewatchables episode. Be sure to follow along on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Inside Film Room. And please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to come back next week for our reactions to all the Oscars drama, as well as our review for Birds of Prey and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. What a name. Looking forward to that one. But until then, thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next time.